It's now time for 30-something and over it. It's the home of soul-searching, owning mistakes and challenges, and changing the course of direction. 30-something and over it, where you're old enough to know better and young enough to still change the game. Now, here's your host, Samantha Dennison. This episode, we speak to Mel as she shares her personal journey on surviving domestic violence. Mel Survivor is a qualified relationship therapist, educator, speaker, and author of the book, Surviving the Devil. Now, we're going to pop her social handles underneath, and this episode is going to be really relevant to a lot of our listeners out there, and feel free to share it with anyone you see fit. Now, a few things I want to talk to you about, Mel. I know Mel personally, and we're going to dig deep into her life, what happened, and how it can help you on your journey, whatever that may be. Mel grew up in loving a middle-class family where abuse just didn't exist. She had no idea where she met a suave, charming, handsome man that I think we all done that, and she sort of stepped into um, a dark world of domestic violence from there, and we're going to dig deep and unpack that. She lived through years of progressive abuse, gave birth to her first daughter before finding the strength to finally escape. After falling into her emotionally and financially abusive relationship, not realising it was abuse because he didn't rape or hit her, she finally learnt that one thing that she had to change was herself. The fact was, back in the day, nobody spoke about living in domestic violence. There's little information on it and there was no internet or Google. The subject was taboo in that era. The male was right and the female was wrong. Melanie created a plan and finally escaped for good, surviving with her beautiful daughter. Mel has finally found her voice. Her passion is to help everyone to become aware and recognise the cycle of abuse so we're able to help victims understand they have a choice and can leave, however, to be smart and leave safely. In her book, which we're going to post down below in the comments of this episode, Mel doesn't share her story, but she also shares the story of six other survivors. She provides quizzes and basic tools to leave safely. Mel has been advised by a domestic violence worker that everyone should read this book and everyone should have a copy in their home as a toolbox for the just-in-case scenarios. So, Mel, welcome to the 30-something and over at podcast. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on here. And I know this is a topic that a lot of people don't really speak about, but it's more common, isn't it, than what we're aware of? Very much. I don't think that people who are experienced domestic violence want anyone to know that they're actually living in it. You're ashamed. Mm. So reading that little blurb that you grew up loving class family and you kind of didn't really know about abuse, can you describe to me your younger self? Let's go back to Mel before life changed. Oh, my God, it was so wonderful. I, I grew up in a family where you felt loved and treasured. You know, we didn't get everything that we wanted. Uh, we were taught to understand other people and never judge. We were raised to be kind, really, very Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and abuse wasn't in our world. Right. I think, you know, my father, I had a smack once in my whole <laughs> life. So, yeah. So then, like, what happened? What was the, I've got here, what was the turning point? But I guess what happened, this guy come in your life. How how old were you then? What happened? You met this man? I met this man. I had been dating my high school sweetheart who, you know, blindly I loved and adored. And it was a whole 
group, a softball social group. Yes. So he ended up dating one of my friends and I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I tried to keep my integrity, stand high, and it just didn't work. <laughs> so I, I, I left the group and started dating other people. Yeah. This particular person came into my life and just saw someone who was on a rebound, mm-hmm. I believe. And he was so handsome. Like they don't, <laughs> an abuser isn't someone that turns up and you think, oh, my God, watch out for this person. There isn't even any intuition at, at a first meeting of yeah. this person being anything but interesting. So you fell head over heels? Eventually, yes. Yeah. Not straight away. <laughs> okay. All right. And then you had a child together? I had tried to leave on numerous occasions before. I sort of started coming from such a loving family. My parents are still married after 50 years. I was, you know, raised in that type of household. I realised what we actually had wasn't right. There wasn't something quite right here. And his family were completely different to mine. Everything was abused. They were known by police. It was just a completely different world. Um, And because I was raised to understand or, or you know, not judge, I tried to understand and, and help and be. And then things just didn't feel right, so I tried to leave on numerous occasions. Um, on this particular occasion, I thought I had the flu and when the doctor found I was told I was pregnant. I right. burst into tears. So did, did you then feel like you had to stay? I went home and spoke to my mother. And her scenario very much is when, you know, you make your bed, it's very... You make your bed, you lie in it. You make your bed, you lie in it. You know, you can't, um, this is this is what life's given you. This is a reason that, you know, you've been chosen. So you move forward and she encouraged me to go and speak with him. Right. Okay. So... You talk about domestic violence comes in many forms. So there's psychological, emotional, physical, sexual, religious, child, financial. How, at what point did you realise you're in a domestic violence relationship? And how does, I guess, how do you even recognise those signs and acknowledge, acknowledge them? I think for a victim, we have to be quite, from what I found, quite kinder to ourselves because I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a high achiever. I... Well, at school, I've worked my whole life and I did not see this man was slowly manipulating me into a world where he wanted me. He didn't present initially as the devil. He was mm-hmm. like the angel in, in a cloak. Um, and then when he knew he had me, when he had manipulated the situation and progressively the abuse got worse, he, that's when he came out. So manipulating as in did he seclude you from people that you love? Like how how did these small steps, for anyone listening, I'm trying to understand what are the little signs they should be aware of? So basically they, you will, they will try and be your everything in your life. I remember moving away from my family. It was very much they consume you with their world mm-hmm. and they try and stop you t- from being in any other situation. Um, if you're go missing and you know you've put them down <laughs> uh, and they go out for the night, if that's a control mechanism to keep you at home. Mm-hmm. There's ways that they will become quite angry with you and create an argument so that they can have you under control and locked down while they're still able to do whatever they want to do with their life. Wow. So how many years were you living in this sort of situation for? 
It was a few years and the worst time of our relationship was when I tried to leave. Okay. So that, that it went on for about seven years. So what was the turning point that made you realise you needed to escape? Was there something really bad that happened or was it just like you'd had enough? Was it the baby? What was it? was my daughter. Okay. I watched a family from the knowledge that I was gaining and and, and what they would do. Um, I was watching her potentially becoming hurt. Right. So was she still a baby at this point? She was three or four when we first. Okay. So then was there, how did you get out of that situation? How how do you, you can't just pack up and leave, I imagine, if it's someone that's quite controlling there. Is there steps you need to go through? Yes, and a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to leave so many times and he would find me. So having that feeling of someone tapping you on the shoulder or, uh, you know, when you're at a workplace, I was, um, they would just be there all the time, not just him but his family. You would turn a corner and, and they were there. I learned how to not buy fuel from a basic perspective. Mm. Just don't have the same routine every day. I didn't buy fuel from the same place. I took different routes home from work. My daughter was moved from different schools to protect her. Every yep. time he found her, I moved her again. Wow. Um, so there's different steps that you need to take. And actually in the book, I write down a basic plan. And I also train courses in relation to, you know, leaving smart. I don't want to give too much information away just yes. in case it's the other side listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. So a lot of times in these scenarios, I've heard it myself, people often say, well, if you're in such a bad relationship, why don't, why don't you just leave? So what's your response to that? Because you're explaining that it's not as easy as that, but why leave? So being someone that hasn't, I'm not saying that I haven't experienced it, but people that haven't experienced domestic violence will often say this comment. Very much. Uh, it's not that hard, just leave. What's your response there? It's easy to leave a normal relationship. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that I um, help people understand that they are in an abusive relationship or a violent relationship, because abuse is different to violence, is that when you try to leave, your um, abuser will not let you. Right. You're stalked. You're, you know, there are so many, they just don't accept the fact that this is now over. Mm-hmm. And in a normal relationship, when you, you know, come to an end or you both get to that point, there's sadness and, you know, people can be silly sometimes, but it's, it's a normal reaction to leaving. Mm. So it, I do believe it's really, you can't, it's not a, I tried to leave. Today they say, they say statistically women will take, it takes seven times for them to leave. Wow. So they keep, you know, you get pulled back in and it's like, oh, my God, how do I do this? Like, what am I doing here? Or you're also in that maybe he will change. Mm-hmm. The initial thing is maybe he will change. Maybe I should be here. My staying point was the same as my leaving point, which was my daughter. Yeah. I grew up with a, a loving family and I thought if I showed him enough love, then he could, I don't know, transform into this Someone being wanted person. to. Yeah. yeah. For her. Yes. And that didn't happen. And as it got progressively worse, I knew that we didn't have a choice. Yeah. And when you're in a domestic violence relationship, do you still, is there still love there? Even though there's fear, do you still love that person? I think initially they 
it, it's like um, it's not really gaslighting. There's a they brainwash you. You fall in love with the person that they present to you initially. Right. So that's what I was talking about before with the angel. Yes. You know, there's this beautiful, charming man. He has the same. We, we spoke about moving forward. Where does he want to be in his life? He was a worker. Um, I worked. We had the same goals. You know, and it was like, my God, this is amazing. And you fall in love with that person. Well, you don't really fall in love, but you, you love that person. Mm. That person isn't who they are. So they're presenting someone they're yes. not really. And then all of the pain comes in, like, you know, you you can't live without me, you know, I'm the best thing, but it's just a downward spiral of emotional and psychological abuse. And how does that go on your own mental health? Do you start doubting your worth? Do you think that you can't live without them? What goes through your head? I'll give you an example, and this mm. is, I, I actually think I'm very naive in, in this regard. He, um, I was, we lived in a, I lived in a home, he would come and visit. And he was there one evening with a female. Mm-hmm. The main bed was all wrecked. The you know there were dishes on the sink. And to my sane mind, I was like, "Oh my god, he's sleeping with this person." Yes, this is this is a thing. I'm not crazy. He is actually sleeping with this person. And because he had a track record of lots of that um, before, mm-hmm. it was not a, a thing that you know. I would doubt. He turned that whole situation around and made me believe I was going crazy. I was seeing things. She was just a friend from work who, you know, gave him a lift home that I didn't make the bed in the morning, whereas I made the bed every morning. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, and at the end of it, I started thinking, and this had been progressively over years, I started thinking, what is wrong? I'm sure I made the bed or, you know. Yeah, so you started thinking you were going yeah, crazy. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I've wow. Been. Yep, I <laughs> can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And thinking back about some of the situations, I didn't go with my gut instinct. Right. Or, so I don't, to answer your question, I don't think it's love. I think that there's a, whatever that is, whatever they do that manipulates your mind, Mm-hmm. and you hold on to that first little part of who they presented to be, mm-hmm. that's what comes out in those situations. Yeah. You know logically. That it's not right. Yeah. You, you so know. You're just fighting that internal fight. Yeah, you've got that desire for it to work. Yes. Yeah. No, I get it. If I didn't have a daughter, I would have left and been able to hide a lot easier. Stay right there. 30-something and over it. We'll be back after this. This episode was sponsored by the Second Chance Academy. The Second Chance was born to help others have a second chance of upskilling and developing confidence to start their own dream. Type in 30-something and over it to receive 10% of all courses. We now return to 30-something and over it. Samantha Dennison chatting to Mel Survivor. A lot of people think domestic violence is just physical. So, you know, and you mentioned that in the start there, like he didn't rape you, he didn't bash you. So how does that fall on domestic violence? So what are these forms? Like explain to me how I would know. Like we've spoken a little bit about the manipulation and psychological, but when we're talking sexual, religious, child, financial, like 
how do I understand what domestic, it's such a broad word, domestic violence? It is, and there's a difference. So domestic, my first relationship was domestic violence. He raped me, um, he hit me, he, he stalked, he beat, he was emotionally, physically, everything you could live. And my story is only written from a PG level mm-hmm. because I couldn't dig too deep. Yes. Um, I wouldn't have been able to, uh, I don't know, escape back from that world, I suppose, because mm-hmm. I had buried it for so long. I then thought that I had worked on myself, you know, for a period of time and met my second partner, first husband, mm-hmm. and he was he was the knight in shining armour. He just came through. Now, he was a good man. He just, he was emotionally and um, financially. So he was a gambler. Okay. Um, everything was about him and he learned how to psychologically play the games with you right? in my mind. And and I could. Like he said, you know, I'm better than, don't complain, I'm better than him, you know. I yes. didn't you or I didn't. And I'm thinking, wow. So in my mind I'm like, yeah, you're, you're lucky. And as a counsellor, do you hear that a lot as well? Do you hear that a lot as well um, when you, I know you do a lot of speaking and things like that. Do you hear a lot that's a common thing that they say, well, I'm not hitting you, I'm not raping you, you're lucky? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Second time around is probably harder because you're trying to not make the same mistake. Mm. My eldest daughter, I did not want her to grow up. I, I didn't want to leave. Like it was harder to leave the second than it was the first. Why is that? Because I didn't want her to grow up without another dad. I didn't want her to feel that there was another failure in her little life. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, situations occur. <laughs> okay. Uh, you mentioned a bit about domestic violence being a really taboo subject. How did you manage to overcome that part and start speaking up for not just yourself but for women in general and making awareness around that? How did you make this, I mean, what you've been through is horrendous and how do you overcome that feeling to then start sharing, I guess? I suppose I there was a, a time when I thought I need to start being really kind to me. Mm-hmm. I need to, you know, I was in a stable relationship. I'm now in with an amazing man for, I don't know, he keeps the dates sometimes. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> a long time. Like 14, 15 years, whatever it is. It's a long time. Um, <laughs> and so I felt safe to dig deep and think, well, you know, this is still happening. Mm. I honestly thought there was a very, well, I know Back in um, my grandparents' day, and, and not that it was never in our family, but from what I've learned over um, time, is it was a, it's a very patriarchal society. Women didn't have a voice at all, and you were you were just told. Yeah. So I have in the book I, I speak about an eighty-year-old lady who lived in country Victoria, mm-hmm. um, and she escaped before like just around the time where child support was coming through, or social services. Sorry for single pet, single women. Um, so that they could escape and actually have safety. Mm. It wasn't just for broken relationships. It was this is a, this is a safety tool. I feel is my perception of why it was created. Then we're still hearing that women are going through this today. We are changing. Men aren't. It's not a patriarchal society anymore. We mm-hmm. are. We are moving. I, I think respect is respect. Yes. Male or female, it doesn't matter. We just need to respect each other. And when you're in a relationship, love each other for who you are and be kind. 
Yeah. Easier said than done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> glad to have a little, you know, <laughs> moments. Little tips. Um, this, these questions, I've got a question. It's not on the notes. I always go sideways with these things, Mel, so apologies. But I think with going through, like, today's society, it's kind of like domestic violence. You kind of shrug your shoulders. Oh, it's just another thing. Um, and DVOs and things like that are so easy to come by. Are you finding it's more like, oh, it's just, just DV, like she's just carrying on, it's really nothing? Is it that sort of society that we've now created? Like how, how are we bringing more awareness of the severity and what it really does because it's quite a damaging thing to somebody? And that's probably one of the main reasons I wrote the book. Tell me about that. I do believe that there's, um, there is this, there's this, a big shift and mm. I'm watching women say, well, you know, he's done this to me. And these are clients sometimes of mine and I'll be, when you've lived it and you know how damaging it is, I don't think you just use that on a good man. I do believe there are good men out there mm. um, and I think that they don't need to pay for, you know, the one, the, the how would you say, the, the bad. <laughs> I guess it's not just males, is it? I mean, I I males may experience domestic violence as well. It is actually raising, rising. Right. So I think it's I think it's more in um, or even same sex mm-hmm. relationships. I think that there's a lot, but people don't. It's still back where women didn't talk, where women didn't ask for help, so right. they don't come out. It's that feeling of not feeling. It's like, well, wait a minute, I'm a man. You know, masculine, very demasculating. Um, my ten-year-old grandson said to me that he was at school. He's getting bullied, and he's such a beautiful soul. Mm. Um, and when he was bullied, he was bullied by girls, oh. and they were hitting him. And they turned around and said, "You can't hit us. We're a girl." That wow. it was okay to hit him. And I thought, young lady. We need to stop this right now because I don't know how that message got into your head mm. that it was okay for you to hit him. That's scary. It is scary. Yeah. You mentioned in your book a few things and, and not just sharing your own personal story but you also offer a lot of tools around all of this for people who are going through what you went through. And even if it's not as severe, you've got a lot of tips and tools in there for anyone that might be listening today that might be going, mm, maybe I'm going through something like that. Who may need an escape route? Like how do they, how do they understand like, yes, this is real? Because I think that's the biggest thing. I've, I've gone through domestic violence myself and it's not something I've shared on the podcast before. And I think that was the hardest thing for me. I don't know if you find that as well, Mel, is actually accepting that you are in a domestic violence relationship. This isn't just made up in your head. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do we get our listeners to understand that what is real and what is not? So in the book I write my story and the story of six other survivors so people have a completely different view. Mm-hmm. So it's, there are um, a lot of different scenarios. I also have a quiz in there because it's like, well, am I or aren't I? Yes. This is, so the book isn't just for people who are living in or maybe living in. It's also for everybody to have like a little tool book to say, all right, if my next door neighbor or my daughter, what would you do, Sam, if your daughter came to you and said, mum, I think I'm living in an abusive relationship? Would you see the sign? Would you be able to, I mean, apart from our... I, I would probably, to- yeah, the European in me would probably fly off the hand. 
to be honest. <laughs> so I would need the book to look at this quiz because my rational mind and emotions would get the better of me. So that's, and that's what it's about. It's about here's a quiz. All right, darling, let's sit down. What do you think? Male, female, transgender, mm. it doesn't matter. This doesn't discriminate against anybody, rich or poor. If anything, the financial abuse comes more from the wealthy. Right. Because they are in control. Women don't work and by choice normally. And then they find that after a while they would they, they start losing themselves. Yeah. So what they think is amazing life, they then don't see as amazing anymore. And I don't think the males mean to, you know, in, in that regard, I think we need to really be more aware of there's a scale of 1 to 10 of severity. Mm-hmm. Always. Each one. Yes. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, that sounds like a really good tool that everyone really needs. The other thing in your book is that you mentioned, well, I know this because we're friends as well, that you donate 20% of your profits on a monthly basis, which is pretty cool. So what sort of organisations, like where does that money go? Is it to people dealing with domestic violence? Tell me a bit about that. Okay, it can be in relation to any organisation. Um, police officers working mm-hmm. in violence, it can be for the housing, it can be for organisations, you know, in general mm. who are frontline working with domestic violence. One of the things that I've been speaking to people with lately is that the, the money that, and this is probably a little bit controversial, I'm not sure what if I... Just say it, it's okay. <laughs> right. So Centrelink, when you are leaving a domestic violence relationship, there's a domestic violence package that they give you. Right. I personally don't think when you're in an emotional state, leaving or trying to escape a relationship of your of a mind where you're going to use that productively. Yeah, or wisely. Yeah. yeah. So what happens sometimes is the guy will come back, then there's a new big screen TV. <laughs> uh-huh. Rather than I'm not saying all cases, I'm just saying some. So I'm I believe that, you know, the, the book is the first step and then organizations have action plans. So they don't the organizations get the money. If you are truly in a domestic violence relationship this gives you the basic tool to say, oh, maybe I am. And then there's organisations where you can actually attach to. And right. then they can, so it's not like it's going to, you have to sit down, you have to have a plan. Mm. And they work through that with you. And, and it might be that the money that they would hand, like Sunlink would hand you, would then go to get you into a new home. Which makes in sense. In a different area, get you out of the area with the kids, depending on the severity of what the situation, situation is. is. Yeah. Yes. Because you've mentioned a few times that the most dangerous time is that time when they are leaving, which would make sense why you're confused and not not necessarily making the best decisions of what to do with the money and do I stay, do I go? And we talk about a smart plan to keep you safe. Where can someone find that right information? What's the first step to finding these organisations? Are they in the book as well? I have a list of some of the organisations in the book. I also have a basic action plan to start the journey so that when you say, for example, if your daughter did present to you, you could say, I'm going to be your advocate. It's just you and me. Do not talk to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that people do is you don't want that other person to know at all that you are thinking of leaving. Right. And so you need to still pretend that everything's okay. Everything's fine. You need to get, yeah. So there's a process of going through. Um, there's an organisation, a, a young man that I spoke to the other day. He's amazing. He started up DV Safe Phone. Yeah, we'll talk about that. This mm. sounds great. What he does is the, the phones are handed to him and then they're handed over to organisations. Right. And those people in the organisations can have, you know, they 
hand the phone to a woman and say, all right, this is, you keep this, this is the safe phone. Right. So there's lots of tools out there, which is fantastic. Mel, where can people find this book? It sounds amazing. Uh, Amazon, or you can go to my website. Which uh, is? www.melaniesurvivor.com. Awesome. All right, last question, Mel, because I'm sure we're going to have you on here a few times and there's going to be lots of questions out of this one. Um, And I know we laughed about it before. What would you tell your 29-year-old self in order to prepare for life after 30? Run. Run? (laughs) Run from what? I think that you take the time to be you. Take the time to really learn who you are. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone saying to me, like you're nearly 30, you're on the shelf. Like yes. As a maiden. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm nearly on the shelf. Um, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I met my, you know, uh, my real love, the, the person who is my soulmate in my 30s, my, in my, you know, mid to late 30s. So there's never an expiry day. Just stop and smell the grosses as you're walking the life instead of trying to be and do everything. I love the never expiry date. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you much, Mel. Everyone, the show notes will be below. We'll have the Instagram handles there. Please check out our Facebook group. Share your opinions and thoughts, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to 30-something and over it with Samantha Dennison. Remember, keep chasing those dreams. Check out 30-something and over it on Facebook, Instagram, and online. And remember to subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. If any of the information in this podcast has raised concerns, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or head to beyondblue.org.au.